News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Macias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change that our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Welcome to episode 38 of the Luke Macias Show. Today, we are sitting down with Senator Bob Hall. He is a state senator from Senate District 2, which starts in Mesquite and Rockwall in the DFW area, North Texas, and goes out to East Texas. Um, He is ranked as the most conservative state senator in Texas, and we sit down to talk with him about two pressing issues that we've discussed on this podcast. One is CPS, uh, the Pardo case, but even in a broader sense, just the overall reforms that need to happen at the Child Protective Services in Texas, Um, uh, an agency that has been shown to have really abused their power. Um, It's an agency that could do so much good and has done good. They have removed children from abusive homes, from situations where their harm was being done to them. Um, But they also are an agency that does not want accountability. Um, They're an agency that uh, believes that they can remove a child even from a fit parent's home without consequences. And so uh, Bob Hall really gets into a lot of details regarding uh, not only the Pardo case, but really the broader conversation that's now happening about reform at CPS. And then also uh, gets to sit down and talk to us a little bit about the Second Amendment and his position on it. Um, He has taken the strongest and loudest position regarding the Second Amendment at a time where a lot of people, even within the Republican Party, have been critical of our Second Amendment rights and have uh, advocated for policies that are going to remove Second Amendment rights from law-abiding Texans. And so Bob comes out and just explains his position both on the issue, but just also his belief in what Republicans should be doing on guns in Texas. I appreciated his willingness to sit down with us. I'm going to go to a quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll go straight to the conversation with Senator Hall. Guys, our sponsor for today's show is Patriot Academy, patriotacademy.com. You have heard me talk about this organization, but um, this truly is, for many students, a life-altering event. Um, I cannot tell you how many 16, 17, 18, 20, 25-year-olds that have gone to this leadership program and come out with an entirely new direction for their life. You can go to patriotacademy.com to find out where they do these events, but essentially they take these students and they go through a week of being a legislator. They actually debate in the in the Texas House of Representatives, in the uh, Delaware House of Representatives, Idaho House of Representatives. It's an incredible experience. I have been involved with them. I believe in what they do. In fact, if you contact them and tell them that you heard about them through the Luke Macias show, I will contribute toward your uh, fee of actually attending. If you know a student that needs to go, that needs direction for their life, they're going to have an opportunity to learn about worldview, about free market economics, about the values that hold society together, and they're going to have an opportunity to be equipped to be a part of making the change that our community, our state, our nation need. So patriotacademy.com, we're grateful for their willingness to sponsor this podcast, and we also want to encourage each and every one of you to check them out. Please do so today. Well, I am uh, blessed to be joined by the most conservative state senator in Texas uh, today, Bob Hall. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Bob, and joining us to talk about some really big issues uh, that are facing Texans. Well, thanks for having me. I um, look forward to this because uh, you're right. We do have a couple of very significant issues that uh, people need to be aware of. Yep. Absolutely. So I know uh, you have been somewhat on the tip of the spear uh, of some of the biggest issues that are getting brought up uh, since the end of the legislative session. Uh, We've had CPS uh, come to light with this Pardo case that we've covered here a couple times and you've been talking about tremendously. We've told our listeners to to go and read some of the op-eds that you've put out on that issue. I wanted to kind of start there and we'll we'll talk about the second amendment issues that are also kind of before us and and being discussed now. Um Bob when when the Pardo case happened, do you mind telling our listeners how you saw that, what you did to get involved and what you've learned so far specifically just as a state senator? Well, what I've learned so far could fill volumes and should would send cold chills through every parent in Texas. Mm. Uh, what started out as help for a family that was in my district hmm. uh, opened a whole new world to me of something that has been going on that was truly chilling when hmm. I found out how overreaching and abusive 
a state agency could be. Hmm. Uh, actually, what I've learned at the Pardo case, if it does not get reversed at the Supreme Court, I could say without hesitation that there is no child in Texas that would be safe from being taken by CPS on a whim, uh, totally imagined and made up, mm -hmm. and parental rights permanently terminated, mm. and the child put into foster care, which is a disaster in itself. Mm. You, uh, since that case came up, who, how all have you engaged? I know that the court at one point, uh, or at least CPS tried to have you gagged and, and not able to speak. I know you've done some public stuff. What yeah. else have you done as far as conversations go, either with CPS or with other legislators? How have those conversations gone? I've had a number of conversations, a number of meetings. I've met, had meetings with people in CPS, and I would say that that was, that was probably out of, was while most of my engagements with anybody associated with CPS have been extremely disappointing. Mm -hmm. Talking with those folks at the top of CPS mm -hmm. were the most disappointing of all mm -hmm. because they are in a mode of full cover-up and justification for mm -hmm. what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They seem to have absolutely no care at all for the well-being of, of the family or the kids that are involved. They're supposed to have a job. I mean, there is a real need for CPS in yes. Texas. There is no question about it. We yep. do have children that are in situations where they yep. need, in in most cases, a temporary uh, timeout for them hmm. to uh, from situations. Mm -hmm. But what we have is an agency that's absolutely out of control and does not understand what its role is. Hmm. They do not know when to take a child. Hmm. I, there are too many instances where they take the child when they should not be taking it, hmm. and there are too many instances where they should have taken a child and didn't. And when they do take the child, what ends up happening to that child uh, is is absolutely appalling. I mean, the two days after the Pardo case, we had a young baby, I think it was about 18 months old, was found dead in a trash heap in Dallas mm -hmm. that CPS had taken and given to a family that had a sex abuser, drug user in the family. Hmm. Uh, and there's story after story. And after I wrote my first article, my phone rang off the hook. Hmm. I got calls from judges around the state that were telling me, well, let me tell you about the cases that CPS has come into my courtroom with that I threw them out for. Hmm. I've talked to attorneys who have told me about, well, let me tell you about the case that I handled maybe 10 years ago, maybe five years ago. And then I get a call from, from family members. Well, let me tell you what happened to our family. Hmm. And it would bring tears to your eyes of good families that apparently just it's, it's the, the CPS sees it as low-hanging fruit uh, where they can take these children, terminate uh, parental rights, and then they've got an adoption program. And mm -hmm. don't know all the answer to how much money the agency in the states makes off of these programs when they put a child into foster care are up for adoption, but there's money to be made there. Mm. Um, do, do you have any sense of at what point CPS started viewing its role differently? Just in your conversations with people, is this something that's been systemic for uh, this, a oh, this has been This has been going or, on for a very long time. I'm talking with people who have been, do, uh, some of the ladies in have been doing this for 12 or 13 years. Mm. It is, this is... This has been going on for quite a while. Mm -hmm. See, there are no rules, no real rules. And what rules they do have, they don't follow. Mm. They violate what, what few rules they have. Mm. Matter of fact, I would say without hesitation that a someone accused of being a serial rapist murderer has more rights in the criminal justice system than a parent who has been anonymously accused mm. of... Uh, say, allowing their children to play outside without their shoes on unsupervised mm. has, in dealing with CPS, mm. the parent has absolutely no right. CPS does not even inform the parent of what they're being accused of until they've managed to extract enough information from them that they can find something else to accuse them of. Mm. They can achieve to change the accusation. Mm. Uh, you take the Pardo case. Yeah. This is a good example of, of a system that has absolutely gone wild. Hmm. There was nobody 
absolutely no one in CPS or at the hospital or the doctor or the court system that had ever actually seen or talked to the Pardos or to the child, had seen or talked to a neighbor, a friend, a family member, or anyone who actually had firsthand knowledge of any actual child abuse. All they ever had was a simple short statement from a doctor who was hired to comb through medical records trying to find ways to put together an accusation of child abuse from from the medical community's viewpoint. Hmm. Made a statement that she had a concern from reviewing the the records. And when I read her affidavit in which she was put together at the request of CPS. And there's a whole story behind how they got to that affidavit. But that affidavit, the strongest thing she said in there was she had a concern about the medical procedures that had been done. And when I got through reading it, and I read it three times Hmm. to make sure I was truly understanding where she was getting at, I got the impression that she was actually, she should be more concerned about Medicaid fraud and improper medical treatments because every one of the treatments that was done was done by a hospital, in a hospital, and doctors. Mm. The mother or the father did none of the treatments, did none of them. They had concerns about the health of their child Mm. and had gone to the medical facilities to try to get some help and obviously weren't getting much help from them because they kept going back trying to help them understand what the problem was with the child. And yet the hospital, which is hired by, they're paid by CPS to go through and try to find cases. Mm -hmm. And and the hospital makes money off of this. Mm -hmm. So they have a financial incentive. And then when they took the child, they had another financial incentive because they're now getting paid for another patient in there. Are are there any, uh, I know part of this particular case, but my understanding, and I think some of the things that you've talked about too, is this is not the first time that this kind of Munchausen type accusation has been used. And it seems like it might even be starting to get used more often. And it seems like a really slippery slope because you're not talking about it. I guess here's what I'm saying. The abuse that's being alleged is that they're doing, seeking medical treatment that is unnecessary, but that is quite subjective right and so you can so what kind of can of worms do we potentially open up if we start allowing those type of accusations to lead to the removal of a child oh what you're what you're opening up is parents being reluctant to take their child to the doctor when Mm. they have a problem yeah for fear that a doctor that can figure out another way to make money off of this is going to accuse them of this munchauser uh syndrome that Mm -hmm. they have by Mm -hmm. proxy yeah and the problem we have in this case is the doctor who brought this up is a medical doctor. Mm-hmm. This is not a diagnosis that a medical and and she was making this accusation having never met or talked with the parent. Mm. But her her statement the the back up just a little bit on it when she made made this initial report to CPS. She said told CPS, I would like for the child to be brought into the hospital for an evaluation. Reasonable request. She saw something in the medical records and told CPS, do that. But I'm going to be out of town for the next couple of weeks, uh, uh, and and I'll look into it when I come back. Well, when she came back into town, she saw the child had not come into the hospital Mm -hmm. for an evaluation. Mm -hmm. Called CPS and said, where is uh, the child? And they said, uh, well, I'm going to need an affidavit from you to do this. And so she got the affidavit thinking, is my understanding the way it was explained was that this affidavit was going to be used to get the child to come in to have the evaluation. Well, it turns out the reason the child did not come in during that that, that two-week period was a CPS worker failed to tell the family that the doctor wanted the child to come in. Yes. So then... The CPS worker then goes, takes that affidavit, has it 
goes to the family's house. Nobody yeah. answers the door, leaves a card there. A few hours later, the mother calls CPS and said, I saw your card here. Uh, what did you want? Uh, well, I need to meet with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, I'm home. My husband and I are home now. Uh, uh, and come on over. And so she said, no, uh, no, I just want to meet with you and the child. Um, he said, well, we'll be here Monday. You can come come Monday and my husband will be here. No, I said, I don't want to meet with your husband. I just want to meet with you. Well, what's this about? And she said, well, I, 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 I'm not going to tell you over the telephone. Uh, okay. Well, after hanging up, mother became very concerned of, one, why this caseworker was insisting to meet with her privately mm-hmm. without the husband. Yep. And would not tell her why. So that's when uh, they got got an attorney involved in it. Even the attorney could not get CPS to tell them what what were the accusations? Mm-hmm. Why did they want to meet? Yep. And then because the attorney then questioned the CPS worker, worked his way up the, the chain of command within CPS of questioning what they were doing, the CPS worker and these are my words, yep. but if I could tell from, from her testimony in court that I was there and heard was she just got her shorts in a knot, mm-hmm. and she decided, I'm going to show this smart aleck attorney who's really in charge around mm-hmm. here. So she went and drafted a false affidavit of accusations. I say false because it had false statements in it. She misrepresented what the doctor had to say, mm-hmm. and she falsely accused the uh, Ms. Pardo's current husband of having hit her when she was pregnant with one of the older children, hmm. which was not true at all, but that was included in her affidavit. Hmm. But she managed to get a, an emergency extraction order that bypassed all of the system safeguards hmm. and take the child. Hmm. And then once that happened into court, the judge, and this is this is this is what happens throughout the state. You get into court with CPS, and if the judge allows the child to stay with CPS out of the hearing, mm-hmm. and CPS hands that child off into a foster care family, mm-hmm. and that child is molested, raped, murdered, or whatever it is, the judge is off the hook. That's a CPS problem. Mm-hmm. He, he he's safe. He or she is safe. That's a safe decision, and judges are very safety conscious. They mm-hmm. are very risk adverse. Mm-hmm. And we, in this case, we had one that was extremely risk adverse. Where, on the other hand, if they allow, if they rule against CPS and allow the parents mm-hmm. to keep the child, if ten years later there is an incident, child gets spanked. Well. Uh, it was the judge's fault. He should have yeah. never allowed that child to go yeah. back to that family. Yeah. And and I say spank because that is considered by CPS to be child abuse. Hmm. They will take a child. Matter of fact, there are many cases I've learned as I've learned through this where children have called CPS on their parents for having spanked them. Hmm. And with CPS, once you are in their system, you're in it for life. Yep. And there are two ways that you can get in there that are just absolutely absurd. One is they accept and react to every anonymous call that mm-hmm. they get. Mm-hmm. And no matter what their findings is, you will stay, if you were the accused mm-hmm. in the anonymous call, you stay in their system mm-hmm. as a potential child abuser mm-hmm. for life. Example, Ms. Jones gets mad at Mr. Smith down the street call CPS and Mr. Smith his kids are playing outside they don't have shoes on and they're not supervised they will be investigated they may decide it was no big deal it mm-hmm. was all right so or, the kids. or while they're there because their pr- procedure is milk the case as hard as you can it may be that the children playing outside without shoes on wasn't a particular problem maybe there's something but else. maybe there's something else you can find that we can turn into a problem yeah. The other one is the mandatory reporting. The mandatory reporting by teachers in the, in the education system, by doctors in hospitals, and by police officers. Another example. Mother gets out of the car quickly, 
locks her keys in the car, but the child is in is in the back seat. Yep. She can't get the child out. Yep. Uses has her cell phone, calls the police. Yep. Police show up right away to get the child out. No problem at all. She'll be reported to CPS as a mandatory as a requirement. Mm. For child abuse, CPS you, will investigate. Yeah, I think you told me that one a couple weeks ago, and that just blew my mind. So just correct me if I'm wrong. What you're saying is currently it is protocol that even if you accidentally lock your keys in the car, you can't get back in, you call right away, 911, I got a kid here, can you please come? They come bust the window out, take care of the kid, that that opens up a CPS investigation on you as a parent. Is, yep. that, is it? Is it? Do we know if it's like, statewide or is that just certain cities that have that as a protocol what's the situation no, no the protocol is if you as a police officer yep. medical profession educator observe something with a child that could be and could have happened as a result of of child abuse yep. then you are required to report it got it what bruise what scratch what yep. incident could you not say that could have been yes and so we have a situation where what we're doing is we're overloading the system. You know, mm-hmm. we went and put a lot of money mm-hmm. into CPS because they say, oh, we've got all these cases. We don't have enough caseworkers yes. and so on. Well, they have a lot of cases because they chase too many non-cases where yep. a lot of time and money is wasted mm-hmm. where they should not even be bothering to look. Yep. And even in those cases, they'll spend extra time trying to fabricate or create Mm. or find something they can turn into a case to further justify it. And unfortunately, what this has done has been perceived by most of these caseworkers, they're young, unmarried females or males who don't have families, who have no concept of of what a family life ought to be or is. They're just looking for pelts on their belts in in how many cases can they create. Hmm. So as a senator and as a legislator, how do you, one of the things you said was, you know, even the rules that exist often aren't even followed by CPS. So, it, you know, you could pass another bill that makes another set of instructions for CPS to follow. But we based mm-hmm. on not only the Pardo case, but other cases that many of us are familiar with, they're not even following all of the existing instructions that the legislature has given them. So what are. Uh, and I know we're early on in this discussion, right? Because this is going to lead into next session. What are some of the things that you're considering? Uh, how do you look at it from a legislative perspective, this issue? Well, I think we're going to have to to bring CPS into line with some rules and regulations. The problem we've got is they're going to have to be some, there need to be significant changes made in personnel also mm-hmm. because they're not even following their own rules and regulations mm-hmm. today. But we're going to have to have rules that give rights to -hmm. parents. We need to have a Miranda. We need to have a system. See, the only people that can fight this are the affluent. we got the the economically Mm -hmm. disadvantaged are at the mercy of CPS because they can't afford an attorney. Yep. And, and so we've got to have a system that, that affords people a defense yep. in this. Uh, there has to be a Miranda. Yep. There has to be some pre- – and there need to be penalties for people that violate mm-hmm. what, the, what the rules are. Yep. And, and we need to look at the whole process. Yep. I mean, one of the things that happened in the court system is I became very concerned. I sat through the whole six and a half hours mm. of the adversarial hearing. Yep. And there were three attorneys there. On one, one was for CPS, one was the defense attorney for the parents, and the third was the ad litem there, supposedly representing the the interests of the child. Yep. And so, as I watched and listened to what was happening, uh, I became concerned whose interest that ad, ad litem was really hmm. representing, because everything she had to say was like a echo of CPS. CPS. She was just a shill for CPS. And when it was over with, I was brought this up with some of the folks that work these cases, had a whole yeah. lot more experience in it. And one of these things said, said, oh, don't you know about her? And I said, no, I've never seen her before. Mm-hmm. I have no idea or whatever. Says, oh, yeah, she uh, works CPS cases quite often in helping CPS to take the child from the family and get mm-hmm. Uh, parental rights terminated mm. so she can then adopt the child out 
and they said that's common practice of what happens in CPS. We have these kids that are very adoptable that come from families in which there is no real child abuse, which makes them much more desirable mm. for adoption. Those that come out of a true abusive situation are not very adoptable. So, so when it comes to some of the legislative things that you're looking at, it really kind of goes around trying to set as many procedures in place to make sure that the parental rights in these situations are protected. Yes. Um, and, and like you said, we have a criminal justice system that assumes you're innocent until proven guilty. And so it doesn't matter if we're relatively convinced that mm -hmm. you killed somebody, you raped somebody, you, you know, mm -hmm. you beat somebody to death, you're going to have certain protections. But CPS currently operates in kind of this unknown gray area where we don't follow all of those same situation so that you as a parent are don't aren't afforded the same protections of your rights as somebody suspected of other criminal behaviors that would be far worse you might like you said just let your kid run outside and yet you're allowed to be railroaded by a government agency mm -hmm. absolutely and there have, has to be some def, definitions of mm -hmm. child abuse yeah um and, and one of the most concerning is this issue of spanking. Mm. I mean, we have now a problem with discipline, mm. and and unfortunately, spanking has is, is now been moved into be considered child abuse. Mm -hmm. And um, I think CPS has had a very uh, negative, detrimental impact mm. on on what's what's happening because mm. of the way they operate out there. Mm. And and some of the things that they they that they also did that we figure out um, is is dis, is uh, disturbing, mm. and I don't know how we handle this in legislation, but my interest in this and my participation in supporting the families in the visits yep. and being there uh, has upset CPS so much mm. that in the second hearing they actually asked the judge to have me barred from being able to participate mm. or say anything. They started out with trying to put a gag order, yep. and that didn't work. Um, and so now they're, they, they had the second shot with a different judge mm. who, who handled her case much more even-handedly mm. than the first judge did. Mm. She did a, she was a very fair, uh, was a very fair hearing. Yep. I think she very wisely refused to allow CPS to put the family plan into a court order hmm. uh, which was very good because the family plan is a is a hammer that uh, CPS uses to uh, to force families to do what they want them to do hmm. without regard to any good common sense at all hmm. but both uh, the CPS attorney and the ad litem attorney were so upset that I was shining the bright light mm -hmm. on what they were doing that they petition the judge in the open courtroom to have me barred by name hmm. but uh, very wisely uh, and and even handily the judge refused to do that hmm. Hmm. well I know that there are very few uh, it's not common that legislators go sit in six and a half hour long court hearings and go on these CPS visitations and I think it's given you a specific um, view of the system and perspective that is going to be you know, allow you to be very involved with uh, this legislation. I think we all kind of understand that this more than likely will be a big discussion during the next legislative session, right? And yep. so um, if if you're a Texan that's that's concerned about this, and then I'd, I'd love to get to the Second Amendment, but my last question to you is if, if you're a concerned parent, a concerned parental rights activist, what are some things you should be doing right now on this right issue? Now, on this issue, I'd, I would ask them to, to call my office. Okay. We, we are already getting calls. We are building a, a book on the abuses of mm. CPS. And okay. we will have, I want to I get the facts. I want to yep. get the, the true stories. I mean, the story, one of the stories we've gotten already is, is a mother in my district, not far from where I live, mm. where CPS, after having almost closed the case on a problem with the husband who died, they decided they still wanted to take those kids. And the excuse was the mother wasn't intelligent enough hmm. to raise them. And it turns out this was a very good mother, mm. very doting, loving, caring mother. Mm. But CPS wanted those kids so badly for adoption that that was the excuse they used. 
and then we get the excuse, the the other another case from down in Houston, and this is the kind of information that we need to help yep. us put together what we're going to do. Uh, very very just the the opposite of the Pardo case. This is the one where doctors had diagnosed a young girl, youngest of three, uh, with cancer, and they wanted to do an aggressive treatment of it. Hmm. Well, this aggressive a treatment would have probably damaged her liver, her kidneys, and her ovaries. And so the parents wanted to do something less aggressive first mm. to try some alternatives. Yep. Uh, doctor didn't like that because he was being questioned, so he went to CPS. CPS mm. sided with him, took the children, gave, gave her, took the child, gave mm-hmm. her to the hospital, and authorized them to do the treatment. Fortunately, it required the child to cooperate, and she would not cooperate. So mm. they weren't able to start right away, but they did allow the parents to visit one day. And while they were there, they grabbed the girl and left the hospital. Hmm. Uh, the parents, both parents and the two kids were there. Dad took the two older kids and went home. Mother waited and went a different direction. She went to grand, Grandma's house. Hmm. Police and CPS show up at the home with the uh, dad and the two other mm-hmm. kids. And guess what they did? They took the kids. They took the other two kids mm-hmm. by force and held them hostage to have the other child returned. That's the extreme they will go to to do what they want to do. Mm. It is an agency that's out of control that needs to be reined in with some very tight rules and regulations and penalties for the bad behavior. Mm-hmm. But it's those stories like that and like the judge that called me and told me about the cases and the, and the approach mm-hmm. the CPS takes that they won't even let them in their courtroom on mm. uh, to hold have the hearing on them. And mm. there and and then and, and some of the areas are you talking about legislation, uh, what they're able to do uh, that's b- different in the criminal. There the court documents are boilerplate. They're generalized statements that can encompass anything. If you look at the Pardo case, they write in there about child abuse and sex and molestation and Mm -hmm. all other kinds of things that had nothing to do with it all, but they put it in there just to make sure they cover anything that Mm. might happen later on. Mm. They they had four pages in their affidavit about um, um, uh, CPS problems with domestic violence. And what it turned out to be was Ms. Pardo's previous husband had beat her a number mm. of times, mm. and the police had been called. Mm. It was him beating her, mm. but they put that in there to mm. give the appearance that it was the current husband there could be. who was doing it. Yep, that was, and you know, it had nothing to do with this at all. Yep. But as I talk to him, I find out that's general practice to put anything in there that possibly has anything mm-hmm. to do with abuse in any way at all, yep. without regard to whether it's on that case or what. But and there were other statements. The the court documents by the by the court itself misquoted the doctor's affidavit, hmm. where the doctor had simply said, I have a concern. The CPS worker amplified that by, I believe her word was either serious or greatly. And then the court did the same thing hmm. by turning, and that's a big difference between having a concern and greatly concerned. Yep, just another misrepresentation of the truth. Yep. So let's talk about guns. Uh, let's let's get. I know that's a good good little segue. Did and you bring yours with you today? I, I do. I do. I have mine. I had to go through security. I guess isn't it, it like isn't a good gun owner never supposed to say whether he did or didn't bring his? Right. With him? I'm wrong sorry. Answer. I wrong messed answer. up the test. Yeah. Oh, I failed. No. Okay. So uh, so now that we know that I'm a, I'm a bad gun owner and uh, I, I I let on too much, tell the criminals in the room too much. Um. So, you know, since we've had a couple. Uh, shootings recently here in Texas, uh, guns have become kind of center stage as part of the conversation. And there's been a Senate committee um, that's discussing these different acts, violent acts that have been taken against innocent citizens. And so um, this has elevated this issue, both in discussion in the media and in the legislature. And I know you have been someone who's gone out there and just articulated um, your position I think relatively clearly when it comes to the path forward that you see for 
Texas to take, both legislatively and to what we should be promising Texans from a policy position. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about how you see the gun issue playing out right now and what, what your views are on the issue? Basically, it's no, no compromise on further uh, attacks on the Second Amendment. Mm. We have more gun laws in Texas. Matter of fact, I have a, a document that was put together by another senator that uh, uh, he sent me a copy of it, and mm -hmm. uh, it's four pages long mm. of laws that we have here in Texas. Uh, Texans like to think about guns, you know, that we're a free state, uh, very mm -hmm. aggressive. Actually, we lag behind many other states. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, if you stood at the northern uh, state line of Texas and stepped across into Oklahoma, you could wear, take your gun, wear a gun on your hip, and walk all the way to Canada and not break a law. Hmm. You could not do that here in Texas hmm. without a license. Yep. Without a license. Yep. Uh, you can't do that here yep. in Texas. Um, we, have, uh, we have some laws that actually attract gun violence. Our draconian gun-free zone hmm. laws. You might as well hang a neon sign up and says, if you want to shoot somebody, come here because there's nobody here that's going to stop you. Hmm. Because the, the fact is, guns don't kill people. People kill people. Hmm. And the only way to stop a bad person with a gun is a good person with a gun. Allowing law-abiding citizens to exercise their God-given right, not our not our federal government constitutional given rights. Mm -hmm. The Constitution just reiterated mm. our God-given right mm. to defend ourselves. Mm. And so anything we do to further water down what we have, we've already taken that right away from a lot of people, particularly with the gun-free zones uh, in there, is just further putting people at, at risk. And for those that are concerned about how people die, Let's address the the way people really die. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you go to the CDC's website, the yep. Centers for Disease Control, they keep track of how people die. Okay, you have to get to item number number one hundred and seven before you get to guns in mm -hmm. in quantities and how people die. And those things that are way above guns are things like swimming pools, bicycles, automobiles, stairs. Uh, bathtubs, clubs, and even hands and feet. And it's not just by a little bit. Yep. Matter of fact, some people enjoy is having a home with a swimming pool in it. Mm -hmm. Well, if you live in a home with a swimming pool in it and you're an adult, you are 15 times more likely to drown in that swimming pool than if you live in a home with a gun that you would be shot. And if you're a child under 15 years old, you are 40 times more hmm. likely to drown than the child that lives in a home with a gun is to be shot. Hmm. If you ride in an automobile, you're 8,000% more likely to die in an automobile rack than to be shot by a gun. Yeah. And annually, there are more children that are killed by their parents than are shot in mass shootings. Hmm. And there are far more kids that commit suicide than, than are shot. And a significant number of those are a result of bullying. Hmm. So if people are really concerned about how they're dying, maybe we ought to spend some time addressing an issue that school officials, hmm. the medical community, and even parents want to pretend doesn't exist, and that's hmm. bullying. Hmm. But to, to address this as how we solve this problem is by taking guns away from people mm -hmm. is beyond absurd. Yep. The issue is people. And it's, it's how our society has changed. I mm -hmm. mean, when we, I was growing up, I had a gun in the back of my pickup truck mm -hmm. ever going to high school. I had yep. classmates that rode the school bus who would bring their gun if we were going to go shoot in the, uh, after school. They would bring their gun riding on the school bus mm -hmm. and leave it, have it in the classroom, mm -hmm. and nobody thought anything about it. Yep. Uh, and today, while we do have an absolute number of more guns than we used to have ever had before, mm -hmm. we actually have fewer homes with guns in them today per capita than, mm -hmm. than we've ever had.
it's the per capita is very low. Hmm. So, uh, and and they talk about uh, assault rifles. We've had semi-automatic. First of all, general population has no access to an automatic weapon without mm-hmm. a license legally. Legally, mm-hmm. do not have one. Semi-automatic weapons. We have had those around yep. for for as long as they've existed. Yep. We've had them access to them. Yep. Uh, so the issue is not the gun, and it's not control. I mean, if, if laws would make a difference, then Chicago, Detroit, New York, and Los Angeles would have no deaths due to guns because yep. they have the strongest gun laws yes. in the country. Yes. But what do we have? It's just the opposite. They have some of the highest mm-hmm. of it. In fact, it's simple. If you really believe that, that laws work, then all we need to do is simply pass the law that says don't break the law. Mm-hmm. And yep. that, that's uh, so doing more. And, and the problem where, where we're going with uh, the two things, two directions, one is the red flag issue. Yep. That's really scary because if you think back to Germany in the 1930s, one of the things they did with their red flag was if you know a Jew in your neighborhood, you turn them in. Mm. If you know somebody that needs to be reported, you tell us about them. It's, mm-hmm. it's not falling in line mm-hmm. with the right. That, that's mm-hmm. what uh, you, you report them. Yep. And you're talking about reporting on intent, on mm-hmm. what somebody's interpretation of intent yep. And the and the mental side of what we think we're going to try to solve this problem that we did this time mm-hmm. last time in the legislature is really scary mm. because we're talking about addressing the mental issues of adolescents. Yeah. And even the American Psychiatric Association says that is an area that is very, very soft, very mushy. Uh in their own documentation, the the, the American Psychiatric Association says that when they do a diagnosis of a mental condition of an adolescence, they get it wrong 84% of the time. Mm. That means out of 100 kids, mm-hmm. they're only right 16 times. Mm. The other 84, they're wrong mm. in their diagnosis. You realize that if instead of doing those expensive tests, if all they did was flip a coin and said, hedge, they have a problem, tails, they don't, they would improve their accuracy 32%. Mm. And there... So doing this with children, see, the problem is you can't tell the difference between learned bad behavior and mental problems mm-hmm. in adolescence. And so going that direction. Yep. The other is expanded background checks. That is simply the gateway to gun confiscation. Mm-hmm. And about five steps from expanded background checks, you get to gun confiscation. Because from expanded background checks, with no matter how limited it is, yep. you go to universal background checks. And yep. once you do, to, and to do universal background checks, it doesn't work unless you have gun registration. You've got to have gun registration yep. to have a meaningful universal ba- yep. uh, background checks. Yep. And from universal uh, registration, then you start have lim- limited ownership, limit no uh, ARs. Uh, magazine yep. Uh, yep. size, uh, et cetera. And the next thing is just plain gun, gun confiscation. Now you got mm-hmm. the registry, you know where they are, you go get them. Yep. And so it's, it's while it may seem innocent and, and argue it on, gee, you really don't want criminals to have guns, do you? Why would you oppose to having a check to make sure a person isn't a criminal? Yep. Well, go back and look at who's doing the shootings in the mass shootings in the schools mm-hmm. in there. It's not criminals. It's mm-hmm. it's not that's not who's doing it. Yep. And so they, the two don't they don't go together. Yep. It's interesting because if you understand that evil people exist and that they want to do harm to innocent people and you get that that is part of the reality of what we unfortunately deal with in this society, Whatever step you take, unless it eliminates it, they're going to want to take another step, right? And so you could say, well, I think this one instance wouldn't have happened as long as we had done this one thing. Well, guess what? The problem is there are going to be evil people that will shoot someone else after whatever gun control measure you pass happens. And then they're going to say, what's the next thing we could do? Because you've already started down the path of more government intervention means safer people. And, and so you have begun the debate 
which means that every time we have another shooting and another shooting and another shooting, there's going to be another step and another step and another step because we're already trying to allow the government to solve our problem. Yeah, it, it, isn't that kind of just a dangerous direction to go, it seems like? Yeah, because people say, do something. The government's got to do something. And when we do something with addressing the gun, we're not doing something to stop the problem. When yep. the problem is in our society and how our society hmm. has changed and how we have devalued life. Yep. And it started back in the in, in the fifties and the sixties, where in the sixties in the early sixties we took God out of our schools. And what we have found is that since then we have killed sixty million babies. We now have several states that have state authorized assisted suicides. Mm. We have doctors assisting with suicides. We now have video games that kids play that are nothing but violence oriented of killing people and there's one one where if you wound somebody you get extra points if you go back and shoot them again so you make sure you kill them Mm. and it's kill 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 Mm. and we've devalued life i mean we Mm. we have no value on life Mm. the the killing of babies uh unborn and assisted suicides it's like life has no value so we have created a, a it's a mindset that's behind the people who use the gun mm. or use something else. There are many more times people are killed with a baseball bat or a club yep. than there are with a gun. There are several times more people just killed with hands and feet mm-hmm. than with a gun. Mm-hmm. Our problem is people killing people mm. and using whatever is at hand to do it. When you talk about the red flag laws, I, I do think it, that's kind of the issue that ties in the whole CPS conversation that you just brought to light where you just told us and showed us a lot of examples of where the government being given the authority to monitor, follow up and take action against citizens has led to a significant amount of abuse when it comes to the protection of the rights of those citizens. And that's the same government. I mean, we're talking about another bureaucracy in the same state, potentially, you could have somebody who goes from the CPS caseworker to red flag caseworker, and now they're doing the same thing for people. Instead of taking their kids, they're taking their guns. And it's it's whether or not the government's going to be involved or whether those people are going to have their rights protected within the process, right? And so um, I think that uh, a lot of Texans have been very appreciative of you, and I know I've seen just a ton of different grassroots people all over sharing different information you've put out, both from the op-eds on CPS and even your commentary on the Second Amendment just because um, it Mm -hmm. aligns with a lot of the concerns that they have, right? And so um, I wanted to just kind of wrap this up by saying that I'm grateful for you, but I know a lot of other people, uh, I'm saying it on their behalf because you've been willing to articulate these clear things. If you're a Texan who's concerned about the Second Amendment issue, and if you're somebody who's really uh, wanting to make sure that next legislative session or whatever special session may or may not occur, senators and representatives know that people's rights have to be protected what what should they do how should they engage on, on that issue they should be engaging their house member and their senate member okay to express how they feel about it directly with them got it on the cps issue uh they can do the same thing but i would urge them to call our office yes uh email call our phone number is 512 okay 463 512-463-0102 and tell us your story hmm. or, or email us or write us mm-hmm. uh, send it to, to my office here at the Capitol get us your information and so we can follow up and, and put together the history of what has been happening out there so that it's not speculation but it will be on, on actual facts of what's happening to people we, we will be doing this. I've already spoken to, to other legislators who are, who are just as concerned as I am. They've got other issues they're working on. Uh, and so I'm kind of taking the lead on this. Mm-hmm. And, and, but I've got support from just about everyone that I've talked to mm-hmm. on this, on both sides of the House and both sides of the aisle. This is, just, this is not a partisan issue. Yep. This is an issue that affects all people. And interesting – the sad part is it affects the economically advantaged minorities much more than it does others. Mm. And so uh, 
we will this will be a partisan effort to mm-hmm. to try to address to address this in the next session but i need to have those stories the histories mm-hmm. that you had whether you're an attorney whether you're a family or you know someone call us let us know mm-hmm. well bob thank you so much for joining us today thank you for giving us your time and mm-hmm. um yeah thank you and i know this will be a conversation that continues i'm sure we'll have a couple conversations between now yeah. and yeah. the next session because these issues are going to keep coming up so right. thank yes. you for and joining th- us all right and thank you thank you for your issue interest. Well, I'm really grateful for Bob coming on the show, and I'm grateful for all of you for sitting down and listening through that conversation. Uh, You really should be grateful that we have elected officials in Texas that are willing to sit down and have a 30 or 40 minute conversation. That is rare that they are willing to do so. Um, And uh, it's something that we need to encourage all of our public officials, all of our public servants to do. Um, You know, we live in a world of sound bites, we live in a world of carefully crafted messages and narratives where people come up with a couple one-liners and then they just say those over and over and over and over. And when we get a chance to have an honest conversation about some of these issues, I think the information we're able to bring to light is so much more helpful for Texans. So um, thank you so much for those of you who have listened to it. And this is another reason just to continue to support our show so that we can bring these conversations to you. So I'll at least ask that you consider subscribing on either YouTube or Apple Podcasts or any of the other podcast platforms that you listen to us on. Please leave a review. Uh, If you're somebody who listens to this show, we get in a review uh, every week or so. And so we just appreciate those people who have been listening to us for a while and decide to take just a couple minutes to leave a review. It also helps our podcast um, and our show show up more uh, in different search engines within these podcasts world. So uh, thank you so much for that, guys. Um, Also go to SenatorBobHall.com, show him some love and support, sign up for his email list, give him a small donation. Uh, Thank him for all that he's doing because um, he is someone very necessary to the cause for liberty in the Lone Star State. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to The Luke Messias Show. If you value this content and want our message to spread, please consider three of the following steps. One, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on and leave us a review. Two, visit lukemessias.com and sign up for our email alerts. And three, follow Raz and I on Twitter and visit my Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Thank you so much and God bless. Thank you.